It's good to be back with you all again. And this is uh, November in 2022. It's almost over. It seems like it just got here. Uh, things are moving right along. You know, uh, God says that uh, in the last days, if he didn't shorten those days, nobody would survive. I think he shortened the days. I mean, it's just like I can't get enough done anymore. I don't know what it is. But anyway, uh, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, one animal. Then we're going to look at some things about the creation, assuming my computer will go back and forth. Uh, but I thought the humpback whale is what we featured on our Alaskan Animals, uh, God's Living Treasures, Volume 3. And we have some back there. If anybody doesn't have one and you want one, just pick it. I think we do. Do we? Okay, yeah, just pick it up. That's what it's for. And uh, so the humpback, actually we have a friend, and uh, he, he filmed almost all of these whale pictures for us. And uh, actually he moved to Hawaii so that he could swim with the whales, uh, these humpbacks, because they don't have teeth. They have baleen. So you don't have to worry. They're not going to eat you. They eat little tiny things in Alaska in the, su in the summertime. They fill up with krill and other little tiny things. And then they go to Hawaii for the winter. And that's where they have their babies and, and all that. And by the way, the mother humpback whale does not eat from the time she leaves Alaska, swims several thousand miles to Hawaii, has her baby feeds her baby milk up to 50 gallons a day and, and goes all the way back to Alaska, she has not eaten the whole time. It's like a miracle how God does that. All right, so what's it say there in Genesis 1, 20 and 21? And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales. And every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So our God, he filled up the waters with all kinds of creatures, and they're still pretty full. Now, some of them are getting a little thin, overfishing and other kinds of things. But we still have, if you could imagine these whales, they go to Alaska, and they just fill up on krill and all kinds of little things. Well, where are they coming from? Billions and billions and billions of them. And I'll show you how they do that in just a minute. But the humpback is the one that likes to jump out of the water like that and shows off. Uh, they have uh, big flippers. Their flippers uh, can be up to 16 feet long. So, I mean, they're really big. And the, and the whale itself is about 45 feet long. So there is a school bus, and there's a whale shark, and there's a humpback whale. They're kind of the same size. The blue whale is a lot bigger than that. I mean, the humpback is like 45 feet long, whereas the blue whale can be up to 100 feet long. So they're, they're massive, massive creatures. And uh, that's a blue whale compared to a big airplane and three school buses. And a whole train of elephants there. So, um, 
what do the evolutionists say? They say, well, some animals decided to go back to the ocean. They started evolving in the ocean, they came out of the ocean, and then some of them decided, let's go back to the ocean. And it depends on which evolutionist you read. Some say it was a cow, some say it was a wolf, some say it was a bear. Okay, well, we know. That's not true any way you look at it. So they can't find an animal that fits, that'll go back to the ocean. But if they did, and by the way, on these campuses where I've spoken, someone will call, yeah, yeah, it was a cow, a cow came out, a cow went back. And I tell these evolution, look, I'll buy you a cow. Show me how this happens, okay? Because they got the wrong breathing apparatus. Uh, a cow, they breathe through their nose, right? A whale breathes through the back through that blowhole in the back. Well, how does the air get switched around like that? Because it would have to be instantly. Otherwise, they drown, you see. So there's no way, absolutely no way. Um, and the blowhole has a, has a lid on it. And when the whale dives, uh, it, it automatically goes shut. So he doesn't have a bunch of water coming down his breathing tube, all right, at all automatic, as far as anybody knows. and. Um, it knows what to open, and each kind of whale has a different uh, blowhole apparatus, so that if you really know whales and you see a spout of water going up or going off, uh, you oh that's a humpback, or oh that's a sperm whale, or oh that uh, each one is just like totally different than all the others. If you think about it, it's a huge challenge for a mother sea creature to feed the young under the water. They're mammals, all right? So she gives birth under the water. She feeds them under the water. And uh, so she has, her, her milk is like under pressure. And uh, so she's helping the baby because she just forces it out there. And they know, the mother whale knows, even with her first baby, as soon as that baby's born, she's got to get it up to the surface to get its first breath, first breath of air. Well, they just know to do that. Well, how do they know to do that? Well, God had to put that information in there. Otherwise, they'd have their baby, and the baby would drown, and that's the end of the whale right there. Um, so, barnacles. A lot of times, you'll see whales with all these barnacles on them. And actually, to a certain point, it's a good relationship. And the whales, the humpbacks, when they're down in uh, Hawaii, where the barnacles are born, these little teeny baby barnacles are swimming around in the water, and the whale puts out a chemical that attracts the barnacles. So when the barnacles are little baby barnacles, this, this uh, chemical attracts them, and they will be drawn to that, and now attached to the whale. And the whale wants them around its face, or on the leading edges of its uh, flippers, and, uh, and, and, the, and the whales will use those as part of their defense. Like if a great white shark or an orca attacks a humpback, they'll turn so that he's they're the other the attacker is going to hit the barnacles, which cuts them and, and makes it uncomfortable. And so they use it for their defense. Um, those things that stick out on the whale they're called tubercles on the humpback. These bumps, and you know they say whales are a mammal. Well, what do they say are the three characteristics of a mammal? They nurse their young. They're warm-blooded. They have hair. Well, where's the hair? Well, each one of those tubercles has a single hair. Those are the hairs on the humpback. And each hair is a sensory hair. 
and it is feeding information to the whale about all kinds of things. And uh, so those barnacles, now our friend uh, David Shoreman, he, he writes math books, by the way. So he's a mathematician. So he goes out to swim with these whales, and he's looking at them, and he's thinking, you know what, those, those tubercles look like they're in some kind of a mathematical equation. He figured it out. They are in a mathematical equation. So they're put exactly within the confines of a specific mathematical equation. So he designed a surfboard and put those bumps on it and patented it. And the bumps are in that mathematical equation. And they've discovered that surfboard goes faster and is more stable than any other surfboard because he studied the barnacles on a whale. God has all those kinds of things out there. If some young people would get excited about really studying what God has made, there's all kinds of little secrets he's hidden for us to learn. And then these humpbacks, they, they blow this bubble net. And uh, they'll go down, way down under, and there's fish up here. They'll go down under the fish and form a big bubble net, and then they'll make it smaller. There are maybe four, five, six of them down there blowing bubbles. They do it like a team. And uh, the bubbles come back, well, the fish start clumping together into a tighter school of fish because they don't think they can swim through the bubbles. They call it a bubble net. And then at a certain point, we saw three of them up in Alaska come up at the same time. They'll come up under the fish with their mouth open, and they'll just swallow up everything that's there. Okay. And they can get like a ton in one big bite when they come up. Well, you're thinking, they do that hundreds of times over the summertime. I mean, they gain thousands of pounds. Where, how does God spawn all these things that they're up there and they aren't the only ones eating these things? It's all God. Now, they also talk to each other, okay? By the way, the birds hang around because they know when those whales come up, there's gonna be little fish doing all kinds of jumping around and the birds will catch them. Uh, uh, so, um, what was I going to say about that? Yeah, they sing to each other, these whales. They're the only one. The males, the males sing. The, the, the women don't sing. But they can hear these songs up to 20 miles away, depending on the temperature of the water and the depth. And uh, now, some of these sounds, they think, can be heard clear across the ocean. As they go down, the, the sounds in the water, they'll go down and then they'll hit the bottom where everything levels out as far as temperature and pressure. And that bounces the sounds back up. On our DVD, you'll see it, uh, how that works. And uh, can you all still play a DVD? Yeah, we're, we're bumping into a lot of people. They don't have any DVD player. I tell them, look, there's all kinds of stuff on DVDs that isn't anywhere else. Spend $29 at Best Buy and get yourself one. Anyway, uh, so they've even uh, recorded the songs. This, this friend of ours did these. Well, you can't really hear it. Yeah, so here's some of the sounds. Uh, now, making melody. They make melodies. And matter of fact, some of these whales, they mark them. They know which whales are which. They go back 20 years later, and the whales have improvised on the songs. It's the same song they know, but they'll get back to it. They, they improvise on the songs. It's amazing. It's just amazing what these animals do.
So we think about whales singing songs. What does God want us to do? Well, what we did just a little bit ago. He wants us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together out loud as praises to him, but it's also encouraging to the saints when we sing together. And uh, so he wants us to have these melodies in our hearts so we can sing together. Ephesians 2, is it 2? Uh, 5, Ephesians 5, yeah, talks about that. And uh, so we enjoyed hearing you all sing this morning. All right, Job, what's it say there? The Bible says, Job 12, 7 to 10, that birds, beasts, sea creatures testify to the fact that there is a creator God. He says this, but ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Well, the humpback whale declared unto our friend David Shorman, ah, I have a little mathematical formula here, that if you figure this out, ah, you can make a surfboard, patent it, okay? They it spoke to him in that sense, okay? So what's God say? Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? If we study what God has made, we're face to face with the fact only God could do that. Only God could teach a whale to sing and then to improvise on the song 20 years later. Where does that come from? That's not the impersonal plus time plus chance. All right, now we're going to try to get over to... Our talk, which is the first one for this morning, and that one is instilling the Christian worldview. Must be grounded in creation. Now, I never know. Is it okay? Yeah. You mind if I look at the back of the screen? <laughs> okay, let's talk a little bit here. Our Christian heritage, by the way, is being distorted and canceled by the competing worldviews of these last days. It really is. And so we'll mention a little bit about that, but our worldview is determined by what we believe about God. Everybody has a worldview, and it depends on what you think about God. So, did, here's a question. Did our founding fathers believe in a biblical worldview and the God of the Bible, the God of all creation, our founding fathers, See, our kids go to school these days, and they're told the Founding Fathers were a bunch of atheists and deists. They were a bunch of womanizers and slave owners. They were terrible people. No, that is not true. But we're talking to young people to believe it, because that's all they've ever heard in school. That's what they believe. They really believe it. All right, let's think about the Founding Fathers just a bit. Our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It's self-evident. That all men are created equal, yeah. That they are endowed by their creator, yeah, that's the Lord Jesus, with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So they think that's the purpose of government, to protect those rights that God gives us. And now we have a government that takes away those rights. There's no longer a government that is uh, what we might call a Christian or biblically-based government. John Adams, what did he say? I will avow that, that I then believe and now believe that those general principles of Christianity 
are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. And those principles of liberty are as unalterable as human nature in our terrestrial mundane system. All right, that's John Adams. Did he believe in our creator? Yep. How about Thomas Jefferson? We hear all kinds of wild things about him. Well, what did he say? Quoting him, God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? What's that? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. That they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's beginning to come down full speed ahead. John Hancock, first signer of the Declaration of Independence, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave, and no man ought to take from us. Well, then we have to say, what are we doing? What are we doing as God's people? Uh, Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams looked forward to the time when, quote, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established. That sounds like the millennial kingdom. And all people everywhere willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace. Amen. These guys knew what they were talking about when they signed the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Abraham Kuyper from the Netherlands a while back, when principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace is your sin. Those are pretty strong words. I mean, do we have any principles that are run against our deepest convictions that are winning the day? Yeah, we just had an election, didn't we? And you're thinking, whoa, what's going on here in our country? All right, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's Psalm 11.3. Are the foundations of our constitutional republic being destroyed? Yes. It all started to happen when the Christian homes didn't install a Christian worldview and the greatest commandments into their children. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, then Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. You're to love like I love. How's that? He died. Okay. All right, we're to die to self, put on Jesus. Well, what's a worldview then? Well, it is the, it's what answers the big questions in life. That's your worldview. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Those kinds of questions. How much time do I have left? I don't think we have much time left. Looking at everything going on, I don't think we have much time left. We need to be busy sharing the gospel. All right, so... Here's a little cartoon. I may have shown it several years ago. The world will end tomorrow. Here's the, his buddies out there. They're down there at the cafe drinking coffee at 7 o'clock in the morning. And they see that, and all of a sudden, it, it hits. Oh, oh my. He said the world will end tomorrow. Oh boy, we better get going. We better start sharing the gospel with our family. Ay, 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 we only got one day left. Let's get another game of golf in. See, that's an expression of a worldview. 
where was their priority? There was, their priority was self-indulgence, self-satisfaction, okay? All right, so we need to look at everything through our biblical reality glasses. So we all have a worldview. That's our basic set of beliefs. It's the position we hold in the foundational issues of life. And our worldview comes out of the position we take in all these basic areas. Theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, history. And then you also, out of those comes your art and your music. All of those have their own type of mathematics. So you put all that together and that's what you have. It's a, that's your worldview. And that forms your value system. Okay? So it's like a big iceberg. Most of it's under the water. Most of your worldview. Most of it's under the water. Most of it you don't see. It's out of sight. And it's like this. As you think in your heart, so are you. The idea there, Proverbs 23, 7. So here are the basic uh, building blocks of a worldview. It's these areas that we study in school. This is where we live. This is where we live our life, right here, in all these subjects. That forms our value system. What's important to us? Why am I here? Uh, do I have a sense of the value of freedom? What do I do about it? Truth. Do I want to protect truth? You see? Godliness. Uh, that's your value system. But you don't see that part. What we see is behavior. So your behavior is the outward display of what you really believe deep down in your heart. So you look at people. Watch their behavior. Look at these politicians. Watch their behavior. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Okay? And that comes their real world view. Art, music, math, it's all part of that. And that means the little bit that we see, the behavior, is based on the worldview and the values. That's how it all works. So, well, behavior. What are some of the anti-biblical worldviews promoted by the God of this world, Satan, that are popular on the campuses of the world? They're designed to snatch our children right out from under the biblical worldview, and that's what they're doing. They're, doing very, they're very efficient at doing that. For one thing, the socialism we find ourselves in today is rooted in the belief in evolution. That's why it's so critical. We get this creation-evolution uh, figured out with conviction. We can believe those early chapters of Genesis. We can believe what God says. So here are the major ones. I've shown you this chart before. Uh, we have the humanists and the Marxists and the postmodernists and the New Agers. And we have Islam and then we have Christianity. Now, if you're a humanist, you're going to be an atheist. That's part of the definition of being a humanist. You're an atheist. Well, if you're an atheist, that means there is no God. That means natural processes take care of everything. That's naturalism is going to be your philosophy. Well, that means relativism is going to be the way you look at ethics. Well, I got my truth. They got their truth. If that's okay for them, then that's okay. Uh, but what's that going to be based on? Evolution. Because there is no God that sets the rules, okay? So once there is no God that sets the rules, the humanist says, I set the rules. And all of a sudden, it's the individual that sets the rules, okay? Now, when the individual sets the rules, what does that lead to? Ultimately, it leads to socialism. Because now man is in control. What does man want? Power and wealth. That's what man wants, the average unbelieving person. Their whole life is spent gaining more power and more wealth. Well, how does that work? Well, it doesn't work in a capitalist system with God in control. 
because there's checks and balances if, if it isn't with government influence, just a pure capitalist system, okay? I don't have time to get into that. The fact is, socialism is the expression of a godless economy because man is in control. So man's going to do everything he can to abolish all the men that he can abolish so that he can emerge as number one. Okay? So that's how it works. And that's how it's going right now in our country. Okay? So it all goes right back to what do we believe about God and what do we believe about creation. So world thinking in the history of the USA. We started out as a Christian country. The pilgrims, uh, most of the Puritans, they had a personal God, and they believed in a young universe, just like I do, just like most of you do, okay? But now a group of deists, not a big group, a small group of deists came in, and that's a reduced God. Well, once you reduce God, what does that give you? Well, then in comes old universe, theistic evolution, Charles Darwin, 1859. Here it comes, okay? Now, once you reduce God, well, if we can reduce God, let's just get rid of him completely. So then here comes secular humanism, dead God. Okay, and there was Darwin, atheistic evolution. Now, my generation, the hippie generation, decided there's no power there. We need spiritual power. Okay, what did they do? They didn't go back to the Bible. They went into pagan mysticism. They went into Satan worship. They went into Mother Earth worship which is where they are pretty much today. And uh, that's metaphysical naturalism. I am God. All is God. Evolution is God. Harry Potter is God. And we have a whole generation that are worshiping the uh, things that man produces or worshiping the creature instead of the creator. Romans chapter 1. So the most important category of the worldview, first, we've got to ground our children in origins. Yeah, they got to know. We have to firmly believe, as the Bible says, Jesus is the creator, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. In the beginning, God created, yes. He didn't evolve it. He created it. As John 1, 3 says, all things were made by him, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. By the way, uh, in the Septuagint Greek, uh, John 1 and Genesis 1 are parallel. Genesis 1, in the beginning, okay, God. John 1, in the beginning, God created. Uh, Genesis number 2, man into marriage. John number 2, chapter 2, wedding feast at Cana, man into marriage. Genesis chapter 3, the sin, the fall. John chapter 3, the answer to the sin and the fall. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it goes on. It's an interesting study. The first 11 chapters of Genesis parallel the Septuagint Greek in words and or thought. Okay? And so it's a fascinating little study. Uh, so we have two faith-based worldviews then in the world. Creation teaches by faith. We believe the God of the Bible exists and he is the creator of all. Therefore, creationists believe by faith in eternal God. Evolution teaches that by faith, 
evolutionists believe matter is self-creating and self-organizing. Therefore, evolutionists believe by faith in eternal matter. That makes it an effect with no cause. And none of them will say there is such a thing, but yet they all believe it. So we all then, creationists and evolutionists, believe by faith in something eternal. Either eternal God or eternal matter. Or eternal energy. That's just all there is to it. So, we study the same fossils, whether an evolutionist or a creationist. We study the same living things. There are not evolutionary living things and creationist living things. We study exactly the same things, but we interpret the evidence based on our view of God and his word. That's how we interpret it. There is no God, therefore that fossil has to be millions of years old. There is a God who is the creator, therefore that fossil can't be more than about 4,400 years old, time of the flood. Okay, that, That's what determines our interpretation of the evidence. Because the evidence isn't telling us anything itself. So we interpret what we see. So if we have a God, that means we have a creator, a designer, we have a redeemer. But if we don't believe in God, we're, we're an atheist. We don't believe in God. But by the way, God says there's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody believes in God. They just choose not to. And I'll read you some quotes in a minute. No God, accidental, non-directed, random, chance, mindless processes over time. Did it all. And your worldview glasses determine the conclusions you come to about all of that. All right, what are some of the reasons why the Christian worldview should be grounded in creation? Well, there's lots of them. And we're going to talk about evidences for a young universe in the next session. All right, reasons the Christian worldview should be grounded in creation. Foundational to a true Christian worldview is our understanding of origins. Namely, that Jesus is the creator. Now, the whole, the whole triunity of God was involved in the creation. In the beginning, God, plural, Elohim, plural noun, created, third person, singular verb. So that, that's like a grammatical mistake in the very first sentence. You don't put a singular verb with a plural noun. Well, yeah, that's how it all gets started right there. In the beginning, God, plural, created, third person, singular. So, God the Father... And the power of the Holy Spirit, through the agency of Jesus, created everything. Okay, so then Jesus is the creator, in that sense, even though the whole trinity is involved. But that gives him the right to be the savior. All right, the fight of evolution against creation is ultimately a fight against God's glory. See, evolution robs God of his glory. It steals his praise. The whole purpose is to say, I can be here without God. What's Isaiah 48 11 say? God says, I will not share my glory. Evolution robs God of his glory. So God hates it. All right. If Jesus is not the creator, then what right or authority would he have to be the savior? If we're not created in the image of God, then we're just a form of animal or mammal life. By the way, we're not mammals. That's the way science puts us. We're not. We're created above mammals to take dominion over the mammals and the animal kingdom. We're created in God's image. Anyway, uh, we're just a form of animal life, and we can be disposed of through abortion, euthanasia, murder, infanticide, war, no baby lifestyles, etc., etc. And boy, they're coming on strong right now in these last days. 
ways to diminish population. Get it down to a controllable 500 million or whatever they say. If Genesis is not literally true, then why would the Gospels or any of the New Testament be literally true? You have to decide. It's like uh, Biologos. Uh, what's his name? Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project, who worked side by side with Fauci and uh, Bill Gates to come up with this genetic modifying whatever it is that they're demanding people get. Okay, he's, he's the leading geneticist in the world, but he's on the board of, and he founded, Biologos. What do they teach? Well, they teach Adam was a metaphor. Well, if Adam is a metaphor, that means Jesus, the second Adam, is a metaphor. Okay, so they try to get rid of Jesus, get rid of Genesis. That's the whole, the whole battle that's going on right now. If the God of Genesis 1, this is John Barnett, Tulsa Bible Church. If the God of Genesis 1 is unreliable, so is the one in Psalms, the Gospel of John and the Revelation. He is the same one in Romans and Philippians 2. Either you utterly trust the God you meet in Genesis 1, or you have nothing else. He is the same. He does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. That's Hebrews 13.8. All right. Reason the Christian worldview should be grounded in creation. If a big bang created the world, that's no one plus nothing equals everything then there's no explanation or source for where logic and the ability to think came from. Hence, we would not have the ability to even form a worldview. Where does logic come from? Explosions do not produce logic. Or a bunch of other things like beauty and things like that. All right, the first 11 chapters of Genesis hold all the major doctrines of the Bible. They're all there. All the major doctrines are there in the first 11 chapters. And they're all written in historical Hebrew narrative. What is that? That's verb, subject, object. Created God the fish. Created God the plant. Okay? Now in English it reads God created the fish. That's subject, verb, object. That's narrative in English. That's not narrative in Hebrew. That's poetry. Okay? So Genesis is written in Hebrew historical Narrative. I hear it all the time. Well, it's just poetry. It was never intended to be taken literally. Yeah, it was. It's literal narrative, okay? Grammatically. If these chapters of Genesis are not factual as written, but allegory or poetry, then the first Adam was not real, and Christ as the second Adam could not be our real creator, redeemer. Yep, that's true. Man has value and worth because he's created in the image of God. If he, if we were just the result of a random, accidental, chance, big bang explosion, our greater value to society would be to die after producing a new mutation so that a higher life form could take our place. Thus, we would have no more worth or value than a speck of bacteria. And that's the way the world looks at us. We're, not, we're just animals. We have no, uh, we have no worth. We're no worth. Just get rid of them. No worth. Except for the ones that make the rules. They are the ones that have worth. 
They're called the elites these days. What's the results then? With no God in the final analysis, nothing matters. In fact, with God out of the picture, all that remains is there's no meaning. You can't have meaning without God. There's no value, no value to life, no significance, no purpose. There's no hope. There is no hope. How many students have we talked to that, well, there's no hope? Yeah, there is hope. No, there's no hope. I'm just going back to the worms, okay? Some may think no restraints against evil impulses. We'll try moving to Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, Washington, or New York City, okay? That's the expression of this whole idea right there. Whatever I can get if I steal it, if I take it, if I kill for it, is perfectly okay, because that means I rise up in power and wealth, and others have to go down. That's the philosophy of this generation. Now, it's national philosophies, too reasons. A Big Bang explosion could not create beauty, regularity, symmetry, law, order, design, information, predictability, love, music, logic, the ability to think. We see throughout all, all that, throughout the creation, only a loving, all-powerful creator could have designed a creation so perfectly. It's not the impersonal plus time plus chance. And then you just think of the anthropic, what they call the anthropic principle. The way the whole universe is set up, it has to be exactly, precisely. Everything has to be exactly the right size, uh, like from Earth. The moon has to be the right size, the right distance from Earth, moving at the right speed. The sun has to be the right size, generate the right amount of heat, be the right miles from Earth to keep everything moving right. And all of that is moving exactly in a precision that's how we can say okay we're going to get a man out to Mars he's going to land at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on such and such a day 10 years from now or whatever and they can fire it off here and it gets there right when it's supposed to because it's like clockwork this universe is set up by God it's not the result of a random explosion of some, some sort only God infuses information into the DNA where does that come from? information's non-material. You can't take information out of the air and stick it in a gene. You can't take a gene and pull information out. All the information in every living organism had to have been put in there by a supernatural creator. That's our Lord. No, no, other, no other way to get it there. Now you can take a gene out and change the way something looks or you can put a gene in and it already has its information. We didn't do anything to the information. That's why Origin of species by means of natural selection. No, natural selection doesn't do anything. It does not add information to a gene. It doesn't take information out of a gene. It just, it's just whatever's there that survives. That's natural selection. No observable science supports that random chance processes produce the qualities above no matter how many billions of years are assumed. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Boy, that was me. Back in my days, being an evolutionist, I, I was as lost as I could be. In whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Yeah, that's true, but you know what? There's hope. I mean, if there was hope for me, there's hope for anybody. All right? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan wants to blind us to that. But God is greater. 
And then when we become a Christian, what does it say? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So with the things going on in the world, in our, we don't worry about that. God's in control. He's going to take care of us. And if he takes us home, praise God. Now we're with him. Here's an honest atheist. Okay, here's how they really believe. Dr. George Wald, he passed away, but here's what he said. Now, he's an atheist, doesn't believe in God, evolutionist. There are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. Spontaneous generation means dead chemicals came to life, and then over time they came in through evolution to go from that first speck of life to people. Okay, that's, he's talking just normal evolution when he says spontaneous generation rising to evolution. The other is supernatural creative act of God. That's what we believe, creation. So it's either evolution or creation. They're the only two possibilities. There is no third possibility. So that's it. Everybody in this room is one or the other because that's the only two possibilities. Spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. That leaves us only one possible conclusion, that life arose as a creative act of God. I will not accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. Therefore, I choose to believe that which I know is scientifically impossible. Yeah. That's just like, what's his name from England over there? Said the same thing. All right, he says another thing. According to George Wald, matter is self-creating and self-organizing. It just does it all by itself, okay? Out of nothing. Uh, here's another one by George Wald. One only has to contemplate the magnitude of this task. And what's the task? Nothing to chemicals, to life, to people over millions of years. The magnitude of that task to concede spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. In other words, the evolution from nothing to an organism is impossible. Yet, here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. See, Satan, what we read? He blinds the minds of these people. He, this is a very intelligent man who is living in a total fantasy world because his mind has been blinded by Satan, the father of lies. But there's hope. The primary purpose of evolution, get rid of the Lord Jesus, the creator and the redeemer, get rid of Genesis as true history. And in so doing, God the righteous judges abolish mankind, can eat, drink, and be merry. Without God, life has no meaning. And we all die and return to the dust. Yep. What's Proverbs 14, 12 say? There's a way which seemeth right unto a man. Evolution is one of those. But the end thereof are the ways of death. They sure are. And that's called deception. Deception. People are deceived. So Charles Darwin was the big deceiver. Origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. By the way, he was a racist, absolutely. You read his book that he wrote four years after this, The Descent of Man, he spells it all out. He was an absolute total racist. There are inferior races of people. By the way, there's one race of people, the race of Adam. But by the way, they're now changing that. They, we're now in what they say, the fourth industrial revolution. It's the merging of man and machine. 
That's what they're calling it. And these people like Bill Gates, uh, that guy with Tesla, Elon Musk, uh, they're all, they're working very hard to be able to computerize people, basically make them robots. And they have all kinds of ways they're working on right now. And they're at, they have actually done that to some soldiers. They, they're just robots. And they're told by the computer what to do next. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on. Anyway, preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. There's one race. That's Charles Darwin. All right. Some people say, well, I can have evolution and the Bible. The two don't conflict with each other. Genesis and evolution, they fit beautifully with each other. Well, let's think about that. Do the Bible and evolution fit beautifully with each other? Uh, though it is not a salvation issue, it, neither, it is either creation or evolution. There's no middle ground. All right, what does the Bible say? There is a God. What's the purpose of evolution? Get rid of God. No God. What's the Bible say? Earth was here first. What's evolution say? Nope, stars were here first. Now you have to start deciding which one do I really believe deep down in my heart. What's the Bible say? Earth started all wet. It's all covered with water. What's evolution say? Oh, no, no, no. It started dry. You see, they're just the opposite of each other. If you really study it, you can't have both. Light was here before the sun, says the Bible. First three days, half light, half dark. God made some kind of a beam of light, okay? No sun until day four. By the way, could God make a beam of light if he wanted to? Of course he could, okay? What's evolution say? No, no, no. The sun had to be here to produce the light. Land plants were first, says the Bible. Nope, sea life was here first, says evolution. Birds before reptiles. Birds on day five, reptiles on day six, says the Bible. Oh, my, you you Christians, you're all fouled up. No, no, no. The reptiles came first, and then over thousands of years, they evolved into the birds. Man from dust. All right, I did this one. Let's do this again. Average reptile, average bird. Average reptile, dense bones, teeth, scales, cold-blooded. Okay, there's your reptile. Bird, hollow bones, warm-blooded, beaks, feathers. Now, what's evolution say? These, over millions of years, became these. Reptiles became birds. All right. In the fossil record or in living things, is there any such thing as a tooth-beaked, lukewarm-blooded, feathery-scaly, which one did I forget? Blood, bones, uh, feathery, scaly, lukewarm-blooded, uh, oh, yeah, uh, tooth-beaked reptile bird. There's no such thing anywhere in the fossils or in living things. That means this idea that the reptiles became birds is just in the mind of the evolutionist who doesn't want to believe God did it. So they come up with this scheme of things, and they produce no scientific evidence to support it. And we'll get to more some of that in the next session. All right, so it's either God's truth or man's opinions. By the way, God's word is truth, John 17, 17. So we have to decide who do we believe. Do I believe men or do I believe God? That's a basic question. All right, uh, man from dust, says the Bible. Nope, man from the primates, says evolution. Man sinned the cause of death, says the Bible. Oh, no, death was here long before man came on the scene. So you think there were millions of years of different animals, plants, whatever, living and dying and evolving along here before Adam? 
No. God says death began with Adam. There was no death before Adam. That means all death began at the point of Adam's sin when God says, okay, now surely you're going to die. Matthew 24. There will be false Christs and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Evolution has deceived so many Christian people. Behold, I told you before. Jesus explained it all before. Darwin. Uh, John Sanford says, he knew nothing about cell biology, biochemistry, molecular biology, Mendelian genetics, mutations, DNA, biological information, population genetics, neurobiology. Nothing had been published in his lifetime about these things. All of this has come since Darwin. He knew nothing about this, which means he knew nothing about anything, really. He wasn't even a scientist. He was a philosopher. He went to divinity school. Okay, God, Satan just picked him up. Boom. He took two books with him on his tour on the Beagle. He took his Bible and Lyell's book on geology. He came back, got rid of his Bible, kept Lyell's book on geology. So what are the big Achilles heels then of evolution? Well, they found carbon-14 in diamonds and coal. That means the, the diamonds can't be millions of years old. There wouldn't be any carbon-14 left to measure. There's only a little bit, what, 5,730 years, I think, is the, is the half-life. There's not much there to begin with. It's all going to be gone. So you see a diamond, you think, oh boy, that could be a hundred mil that could be a billion years old. Nope, nope. Maximum six thousand, probably more like forty-four hundred. Uh, soft tissue, red blood cells in dinosaur fossil bones. I think I showed you one of those clips earlier. Uh, yeah, you can't have elastic tissue in a sixty-eight million year old fossil bone. No, it didn't have time to fossilize. That means the bone was buried up there in Montana at the flood about forty four hundred years ago. Yeah, it's, it's there. But you don't read about that in the newspapers because we live in Satan's world system. It's based on deception. So if there's anything that couldn't possibly evolve, if there's a reason that shows how maybe Earth isn't so old, they just censor it out. They don't tell you about it. Okay, that's been out for 25 years now. It's not, you don't, you don't know it. Mount St. Helens. Polystrata fossils form. Well, let's see, we got to quit. Uh, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That's us. We're created for his pleasure. What a wonderful thing. Let me take a look at my notes, because it's time to take a break. And I wonder uh, if... Um, let's close with the Brazil nut. I've shown you that once before. And, well, what number was that? The Brazil nut is slide 90. All right, let's see if we can go to slide 90. Okay. Is that okay? Okay. Slide 90, Brazil nut. Does anybody remember the Brazil nut? Has anybody told anybody about a Brazil nut? Okay, I'm going to tell you again so you can tell people. Because there's no way this could evolve, okay? All right, what's the big deal? All right, the Brazil nut tree is one of the two big trees in the Amazon rainforest that hold up the canopy, all right? Big tall, 120, uh, 180 to 230 feet tall. Uh, we have the tallest trees here in USA, the giant sequoia and the giant redwood. But those hold it up. Now, these nuts, Brazil nuts, form in this pod, 
it's like in a cement pod. Matter of fact, that pod is so tough, it doesn't even break open when it hits the jungle floor. But they weigh about five pounds. They're about the size of a big coconut. If you're under a tree and one comes down, it's unfortunate. And uh, so, well, how are the nuts going to get out? That's the seed. Well, God made a little animal. And it will chew into that thing and get the nuts out. It's called an agouti. It likes to eat the nuts. So it'll get the nuts out, chew them, and uh, bury some. Forget where they are. That's your next generation of trees. Well, the scientists here in Texas, we have these pecan orchards, miles of them down in Brazil, they just said, let's have Brazil nut orchards. So they plant the trees, the trees grow, they got bloom beautiful yellow blossom, no nuts. It took them several years to figure out why they don't get nuts. The trees bloom. Well, the blossom, uh, the pollen is down in a spiral tube deep down in there, and it's sealed shut. It's got a lid on it. So the, po the pollen can't get out. Wind can't blow across it and pollinate it like an apple tree. So they finally discovered there's only one insect that pollinates the Brazil nut tree flower. That's the Brazil nut long tongue bee. And this bee has a very strong jaw and a very long tongue. And it will go to the flower, take its strong jaw, open the lid, take its long tongue, stick it down in there, get the pollen. And as it goes from tree to tree, it pollinates it. So they figured that out. They went out in the jungle. They brought in the bees. And sure enough, they got nuts for one year next year no nuts why what happened all the bees died why well it took them several more years to discover in order for mrs b to invite mr b into the house so they can have baby bees mr b has to go to one particular species of orchid get the scent of that orchid on himself and then mrs b invites him in so that must be his cologne. And, uh, but in the jungle, you got to have the tree, you have to have the bee, you have to have the orchid, and you have to have the, the agouti. It's called obligatory mutualism. They're obliged to each other to keep each other alive. They had to all be put there together at the same time. Evolution has no answer for that. So that is the orchid. And I, and I hope you share that with somebody. Uh, because people listen to that and it's like, oh. And they can't comment because it's obvious. It's totally obvious. That's what God says in Romans 1. If we study what he has made, we will give him thanks and give him glory. And that's what he wants. So let me pray. Father, thank you that we can be gathered together here again today and bless our time. Help us be a blessing to you and thank you for your creation and the marvels of it. And just help us to be good students of your creation and then tell people who the Creator is. It's your Son, the Lord Jesus. You're just a genius, Father. I mean, more than a genius. There's no way to even describe uh, you. And we're going to spend eternity learning about you. I pray that might even start today when you send the Lord Jesus for us. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to take a little break. I thought we'd spend just a little bit of time here talking about evidences for a young universe. And there's lots of them. And I went all the way through college, majored in biology, 
I never heard any of these because we're in Satan's world system. It's based on deception. It's based on lies. It's based on censorship. Censorship of anything that might make you think what the Bible says is true. It's really a young universe where you're not allowed to think that way. So they just censor everything out that's going to help you really give glory to God and give thanks to God, which is what he wants. He, he wants us to study his creation and then give him thanks and give him glory. So here's a question. Are the days in Genesis chapter 1 normal days or are they long periods of time? I don't know what the percentage is, but the average church has many people I believe God used evolution and millions of years to create. It's just churches are full of people that that's what they believe. Well, that means the days in Genesis are not normal days. They have to say each day equals a billion years or something. So we'll talk more about that. But anyway, if the days in Genesis are normal 24-hour days, and they are, and our Creator creates fully mature life forms, and he did, then is there true scientific evidence, I mean true scientific evidence, that the universe and the earth are actually only about 6,000 years old? There's lots of it, absolutely lots of it, if it is true scientific evidence. There's lots of what they call scientific evidence based on all kinds of false assumptions. And we'll probably talk about some of those, too, as we go along here. Does the Bible refute evolution? Well, the Lord Jesus, the Creator Himself, refutes the molecules to man over billions of years when He says this in Mark chapter 10, verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Okay, is He talking male and female blue-green algae? No. How do we know that's not what he's talking about? Because Mark 10 is talking about divorce. Have you ever heard of a heartbroken, divorced, blue-green algae? No, people get divorces. So God is saying, from the beginning, there were male and female people. What's the context? Divorce. According to Jesus, there are male and female people since the beginning of creation. And that's about 6,000 years ago. So people have been here right since the beginning. So just looking at human population, that takes care of evolution right there. Because it took from the flood to about 1800 to get the first 1 billion people on planet Earth. That's the first time a billion people were measured and counted. So that's like 4,400 years. But then it only took 130 years to get the next billion, 32 years to get the next billion, 15 years to get the next billion, 8 years to get the next billion, and then birth control popped in. So it took 15 years to get the next billion. But now in 2022, we're told there are about 7.5 billion people on planet Earth. No way we could have been around as some sort of a humanoid creature for hundreds of thousands of years. We would be packed with people clear out to the moon, okay? And so, by the way, that takes, that takes into account, these figures take into account wars, famines, diseases, all those kinds of things. 
So just looking at human population, <clears throat> we cannot have been here very long. The Bible mentions the idea of uniformitarianism in 2 Peter 3. What's that? All things continue like they were from the beginning. Okay, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. That's the characteristic of this, this day, by the way, people walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant, like Dr. George Wald. I read to his quote. Yep, looks like really of the two ways we could be here, evolution or creation, it's looked like the creations. They've got the better arguments, but I'm not going to believe it anyway, okay? Because I don't want to believe in God. All right, so all things continue as they were from the beginning. Then you'd have to say, well, do they? You see, that's one of their assumptions. That's why they think their dating techniques work. Well, all things have, so what we measure right now is the same way it was four billion years ago. Well, no, it isn't. How do we know? Well, because there was a flood. There was a big flood, changed everything, all right? This same chapter, Second Peter chapter 3 says, we are living in heaven and earth system number two. Heaven and earth system number one was destroyed at the flood. Maybe we should look at that. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, let's just see how it says it right there. Okay, 2 Peter, that would help if I was in 2 Peter, not 1 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, um, well let's just start right there at the beginning, verse 1 of 2 Peter 3. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, this is Peter in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. God doesn't mind reminding us of things, and he does it over and over, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, of the Lord our Savior, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens that were of old, that's that first heaven and, old, heaven and earth system before the flood, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, so it was out of the water, then God covered it with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, this present heaven and earth system, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So the first one, destroyed by water. We're on the same planet, but now it's a different system. Things aren't the same as they always have been. Uh, the dating techniques don't work because of the way it was with the water canopy around the earth, and I believe there was a water canopy. I know some people say, no, 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 there's this problem, that problem. Well, there's problems any way you look at it. But I think a water canopy around planet earth, uh, tell you what, let's just go back to Genesis chapter one for a minute. This was not on my agenda for this morning, but I think it's a good idea. We'll see how far we get. But in Genesis chapter one, um, 
I'll tell you what, while we're here, let's just think about those days in Genesis, since we're here anyway. Uh, in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light, so God made light. Some people say this was God's own radiance. Well, he didn't have to make that. Okay, let there be light. So he made some sort of light, a beam, a stream of photons. I don't know what it was, but it hit planet Earth and made each day half light and half dark. So go to verse uh, 4. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Does that sound like a regular day? So far, it sounds like a regular day. I mean, if each day is a billion years, like the day age people say, you would have 500 million years of darkness followed by 500 million years of unrelenting light because each day was half light and half dark. And then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Well, that's interesting. Waters is in a plural. What's he talking about here? There's a firmament in between these waters. Waters in the Hebrew is a dual noun. That means there's two. There's two bodies of water. And God made the firmament. Look over in verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. And the fowl, what's the fowl going to do? That may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. It's where the birds fly, right here in Genesis, all right? Okay, so the firmament is where the birds fly, and back there in verse 6, there's waters with the firmament in between these waters, and it's two groups of two each waters, so that would be two groups of water above the, where the birds fly, and two bodies of water beneath where the birds fly, if we just take it literally with those as dual nouns. Okay, I think then one of the bodies of water would be a water canopy around planet Earth, above where the birds fly around. I believe that helps explain how the dinosaurs got so big, how people lived to be eight and 900 years old. It's a different kind of a system. Planet Earth would have been pole to pole greenhouse warm. We have palm tree fossils in Alaska. We have broadleaf ferns frozen in the Antarctica. They aren't even fossilized. They're plants that grew there. It had to be before the flood, okay? Earth was once pole to pole greenhouse warm. So don't worry about Al Gore. We're not gonna burn up, okay? We got at least another thousand and seven years left before he's gonna burn this place up because he is gonna do that. That's what he says, okay? Back there in what verse, whatever, in Second Peter 3. All right. So we have two bodies of water above where the birds fly around. I believe one is a canopy around planet Earth. I believe there is a canopy around the universe. And I think Psalm 148 alludes to that. Okay? So two bodies of water. Now we have two bodies of water beneath where the birds fly around. That would be the surface waters and the under the surface waters. Almost everywhere you go, you drill, what do you hit? You're going to hit water. Okay? So we have the oceans above and the oceans beneath. And, uh, you know, there's another interesting thing. Jerusalem is always a dual noun when it refers to Jerusalem in the Bible, in the Hebrew. 
Well, what's he telling us? There's two Jerusalems. There's the earthly Jerusalem, the ge geography, and there's the heavenly Jerusalem, okay? So, I mean, there's those kinds of things that you're thinking, why did God put that in a dual noun? What is this? Well, there's some significance here, okay? So I've talked to the Hebrew guys at, at Dallas Seminary. Oh, well, no, it doesn't mean there's two. It just, it's a collective noun. That's why it says waters, plural. Well, no, it's a dual noun. There's two. All right. Oh, back to the days. Okay, so each day is half light and half dark, has an evening and a morning. And uh, go down to verse 14 of Genesis chapter 1 while we're over there. In verse 14, and God saw, said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. God is telling us right here what he means in Genesis 1 by the word day. You know, I think it was Mal point that, pointed that out to me many, many years ago. And uh, I've used it ever since. So thank you, Lacey. Your husband got me going on that. Uh, there are there are days, there are seasons, there are years. Well, if a Genesis one day is equal to a billion years, how long is a Genesis one season? See, a season is ninety days long. Is a Genesis one season ninety billion years long? See, you can't do it. How long is it, how long is a year? If a day is equal to a billion years, a, a year is equal to 360 billion years? No, God's telling us right here in Genesis chapter 1. This is what I mean by the word day. It's a normal day. Um, what else does he tell us? He says, Adam was 930 years old when he died, Genesis 5. Okay, a Genesis 1 day equals a billion years. That's the day-age theory. That is the uh, position of the progressive creationist. That's you, Ross. That's the position of the theistic evolutionist. That's most Christians. Uh, it's the position of the framework hypothesis people. And uh, there's a couple others. But the fact is, how old was Adam when he died? If a day is a billion years, and Adam was 930 years old when he died, and Adam lived through, let's say, half of day six, the day he's created. He lived through all of day seven. Right there's a billion and a half years. Okay. And then he lived 930 more years after that. See, it doesn't even make sense. Right in the Ten Commandments, God tells us again what he means by the word day. If you want to look at Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, go down to verse 9 in Exodus 20. And God is talking to people, and he says this, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. He's talking to people. How many of you go off and six, work for six billion years on your job? It feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? No, we know what those days are. They're normal work days. God says, hey, you people, you go out and work six normal work days. I want, to, I want you to know something here. I did the same thing. Look at verse 11. For in six days, same Hebrew words, God says, hey, the same kind of days you people worked, I worked, and in those same kind of days, I used six of them to do what? To make heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. 
So God says, I use the same kind of work days that you people work to make everything that I made. I made it within a six normal day week. Heaven, earth, seas, and all that in them is. That would include the angels. All that in them is. Okay, he made everything that he made, other than himself, which has always been here, and Jesus, during that six-day week. Uh, we were over there in 2 Peter 3. And what's it say there? I think I'll just go back there for just a minute. Because some people go, yeah, yeah, you know, but the Bible says a day is like a thousand years. That means those days in Genesis, they could be any amount of time. Well, yeah, it does say that. What's the context right there in 2 Peter chapter 3? After he talks about earth being destroyed by fire, he's just got done talking about three judgments in 2 Peter 3. Second coming judgment, people are scoffing at it. Then he talks about the flood judgment. Okay, that one's history. Then he's going to talk about the fire judgment that's coming. And then he inserts a little paragraph. Because that's kind of scary, especially if you don't know the Lord. Verse 7, but the heaven and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Look at verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years. Yep, that proves it. Those days in Genesis could be any amount of time. But what happens next? And a thousand years as one day. Oh, oh, you just negated your own argument. Okay. What is God saying here? Look at the next verse. The Lord is not slack. A lot of time words here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, what's he saying? As I wait for you to come to repentance, a day is like a thousand years. And on the day that you would come to repentance, if I waited a thousand years, it's like a day. Now, he's above time. He's I'm above time. I don't need time. But I think he's telling us his heart. I think God's expressing his heart to us. He wants us to come to know Jesus as our Savior. He waits for us to come. He's waiting right now for some to come. I think, this is why, I think that's why he hasn't come already for us. Okay, there's some people holding out. Now, that's nobody in here, I hope. Okay? <laughs> if you're holding us up from going up, get it straightened out, please. <laughs> I think for, we're probably holding it up, too. We haven't finished cleaning the closets yet. But anyway. <clears throat> All right. So that was just a little bit on those days in Genesis. They're just normal days. And I think God proves it in his word. And uh, all right. So let's keep going here. Now, carbon 14, I have a whole section on that. I'm not going to take the time to do that. But there's just one thing I want to say about it. Um, carbon 14 is affected by Earth's gravity. And how is it affected? Well, the stronger Earth's magnetic field is, it acts like a shield around planet Earth. So the stronger it is, that's the stronger the shield is. Well, what's it shield us from? Certain types of cosmic radiation that have to get into our atmosphere to irradiate the nitrogen-14 to convert it to carbon-14. Well, if Earth's magnetic field is stronger, that means less radiation gets in. That means less carbon-14 is formed. That means if you want to date something with carbon-14, you would have to know, well, how strong was Earth's magnetic field when that plant was alive that was pulling in the carbon-14? Because you'd have to know how much carbon-14 was being formed. 
Well, if there was a water canopy around planet Earth before the flood, they've done the experiments now, water filters out almost all of the type of radiation that has to get in to form carbon-14. So they find a bone buried at the flood. And, uh, oh, there's no carbon-14. That thing must be millions of years old. That dinosaur's got to be 68 million years old. We can't find carbon-14. What if there wasn't any carbon-14 to begin with? Because there wasn't any in the atmosphere for the plants to pull in because it was while the canopy was still up. That would negate the formation of the carbon-14. So there's all these things that when they tell you something, oh, that was 6,732 and a half years old. We did carbon-14. Okay, so you would say, that first of all, there, there wasn't anything here at that point. But you would say, well, how strong was Earth's magnetic field in 6,413 and a half or whatever? Well, I don't know. Well, you'd have to know to get an accurate date of carbon-14. You'd have to know how much carbon-14 was formed. So anyway, that's just roughly a sketch there on, on the carbon-14. Um, they have found it in coal. They have found it in diamonds. And as Don DeYoung says, the rate carbon-14 experiments on diamonds are the first ever reported in the literature. Nobody did it before. So ICR did it, and a group of scientists. Is the carbon-14 in diamonds. Measurable levels of carbon-14 are found in every case for both coal and diamond samples. This evidence supports a limited age for the Earth. Yep, very limited. So it would fit within the Bible around 6,000 years, maybe even 4,400, maybe at the flood. Now, what about dinosaur fossils? Are they real? See, I go to churches and be, oh, there never were any dinosaurs? No, 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 no. They just made that up. No, there were dinosaurs. Did Noah have dinosaurs on the ark? Well, you don't see any pictures of them. You didn't see any of these ark pictures? Have you ever seen one with dinosaurs on it? They don't put dinosaurs. Why? Well, I guess the people that paint the pictures don't think dinosaurs and humans existed together. God said he took two of what? Every kind of animal. All right? That means there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, he probably took young dinosaurs. They wouldn't be as big. They wouldn't eat as much. Uh, maybe a lot of them slept through a good part of the year. Okay? But we now have found dinosaur bones that didn't have time to fossilize. Now, we found 25 years ago up in Montana. And uh, what does that show? They have elastic tissue, red blood cells, blood vessels. There's Mary Schweitzer. She's the one that found it. So they cut, they, they dug up this huge T-Rex. <clears throat> and the leg bones were too heavy. They had to fly them out with a helicopter because it was so remote. They couldn't get trucks in. So they had to fly the bones out. They couldn't, they couldn't lift them off the ground with the helicopter. So they had to section them. Well, paleontologists do not section their bones. They'd never done that before. Why? They want to keep the bone exactly like they found it. So they have drawers and drawers and compartments full of bones that they have never cut into. They had to cut into this one. They cut into it. It smelled like rotting flesh. So they sent it up to Mary Schweitzer, North Carolina State. Oh, my. There's red blood cells here. There's elastic tissue here. I don't know how that could be. I just don't know how that could be. Well, it could be because they aren't that old. She is. She says she's a, a theistic. She says she believes in God. She's a theistic evolutionist. Okay. Yeah, they weren't that old. 
So, am I saying that dinosaurs and humans lived together? Yes. Okay. Well, didn't they go extinct 60 million years ago? No. Uh, we might still have some today. There are people claim they see certain types of dinosaurs in different places. One is in the Congo. Another one is in Indonesia. They think they found some pterodactyls down there, flying dinosaurs. God created them all on day six. All right, humans and dinosaurs, the big creatures on the earth, day six. We have cave paintings of dinosaurs, rock paintings. Of, how could a cave painter paint a picture of a dinosaur if he'd never seen one? You see? Dragon legends, giant reptile sightings around the world, still have it. All right, there you go. Now, the evolutionists look at this, and they say, this is in the Grand Canyon, all right? Uh, that way up on top, that's a man. Uh, right under that, you got a horse with a couple people on it. Under that, you got an antelope's head and an antelope. Then you get on down to that squiggly thing. Oh, well, he was just squiggling away that day. Well, no, could that have been an Admonosaurus that he was drawing, that he had seen? Same as he saw the antelope and the horse, he saw an Admonosaurus. So that one has been uh, highlighted, but they scraped off some of the white paint or whatever it is, and they did oxidation techniques on it. They said it's somewhere between 600 and 1,200 years old. So there was an Indian in the Grand Canyon painting a picture of a dinosaur 600 to 1,200 years ago. Now, if that makes your stomach churn, if you're thinking, no way, no way, that means you have believed the words of man more than the word of God. God says humans and dinosaurs existed together. They aren't 60 million years apart. And then you have these. I've seen 12 of these stones, originals now. There are some forgeries. But this guy, this was with a tomb down in Peru. They dug it up with the tomb. There's a Triceratops, probably up on top of Stegosaurus, maybe on the bottom of Plesiosaur, maybe in a Patasaurus, Diplodocus on the left. So somebody painted a Triceratops that had never seen one. Yeah. That's what the evolutionists would say. Well, no, they say that's just a forgery. They just made those up. Okay. Since, since they just made them up to make money. Okay. And I'm sure some of them are, but there were some originals. We've seen 12 originals. Well, no, it's millions of years ago. This is a little kid's textbook. Millions of years ago, the dinosaurs lived. No, they didn't live millions of years ago. They lived with humans. Well, what's the Bible say? Oh, over there in, uh, where is that? Job. 40, 15, 16, 17, down in there. Behold now behemoth. That's a Hebrew intensive noun. It's a big thing. What do the side notes say in this Bible? It's got to be an elephant or hippopotamus. Well, how do they come to that conclusion? Why doesn't somebody say, two Bibles do say dinosaur. The Henry Morris Study Bible and the John MacArthur Study Bible say probably a dinosaur. Okay, they're the only two that do. All the others say elephant, hippopotamus, some say crocodile. So if it's an elephant, uh, he eats grass. Okay, he's got a tail like a cedar tree. Well, let's get around behind an elephant. Is that a cedar tree? No. No. Uh, hippo, is that a cedar tree? No. Is that a cedar tree? Yes. Okay. But they don't look like that, do they? Uh, is that a cedar tree? Yeah, that one's supposed to be there in the Congo. Okay. Nobody's been able to get one out. But they say it's there. The natives say it's there. So, how do we interpret all this? Well, it's it based on our worldview. Do we start with God? Do we start with the Bible? Or do we start with Charles Darwin? 
and man's words. See, do we start with man's words or God's word? If we start with God's word, we're going to interpret the evidence and say, you know what? That dinosaur bone can't be more than about 4,400 years old. That's all. And what's the evidence show? Yeah, it's got elastic tissue, red blood cells. That kind of fits with what we say the Bible says. Mount St. Helens, what happened there? Well, Spirit Lake, all these trees were on there. And then uh, afterwards, not too long afterwards, the steam that was caught under the rock kind of blew up, formed a canyon 600 feet deep overnight. And uh, see that little guy down there? You would say, look at those, all that, those striations in that rock. No, that happened just overnight, just laid down like that. And uh, over 600 feet right there. And all totally brand new. Uh, and then the trees that were killed and they were stripped of everything and the trunks are there and the trunks at the root end get heavy first with water, waterlogged. And they start floating right side up. They watched it happen. And then they drop to the bottom. And they form what are called polystrata fossils. And we've always been told it takes hundreds of thousands of years for these to form. We're watching them form since 1980. It doesn't take hundreds of thousands of years, okay? And now they're even watching. They, they settled down according to the species of the tree. So this certain species of trees gets waterlogged first. They float right side up for a while, drop to the bottom. Then some sediment comes in. Then another species of trees has soaked long enough. They, now they drop, but now the bottom is higher. So now they're up here. First ones are down here. And then it, here comes some more sediment. Another one drops. Well, they, they have banks of these. For instance, here's one up in uh, France. There's another one in Nova Scotia, 2,300 feet high, with trees like this. It, ha it has nothing to do with thousands of years. It has everything to do with the amount of sediment and how fast the waterlogged trees drop to the bottom. And so now we, we've proven that one with Mount St. Helens and Spirit Lake, what's been happening, because we're watching it happen. It doesn't take thousands of years for that to happen. And that those layers, that's just sediment getting washed in. Maybe today something washes in. Now that tree is down here. Now some sediment comes in. Maybe there was a big rainstorm up, up the creek somewhere, and the mud comes down and washes in. Now another one drops on top of that. Could two days. Now we've got two trees at two different levels. They would say, well, that's several hundred thousand years right there. Nope, nope, overnight. And then they find these things. This is a 30-foot-long petrified tree. It goes up through more than one vein of coal. How does that happen? Because it's all happening at the same time at Noah's flood. There's another one right there. Nova Scotia, these are all over the place. Uh, the lava dome, Mount St. Helens. So they took out some of the rock after it erupted, 1980, to see how old it was. They just sent it to a lab, didn't tell them where it came from. They sent it to the lab. The lab said, oh, that rock is anywhere from 350,000 to about 2.8 million years old. Except it was only like at the time, I think 10 or 12 years old, using their techniques, okay? That's how far off these dating techniques are. So rocks of known age, like Mount St. Helens rocks, the radioisotope date doesn't seem to work because it's supposed to be old, but it's not. Rocks of unknown age, like the moon rocks, oh, well, we can date that for you. 
because they don't know, and there's no way to prove them wrong, you see? So that's how they do in Satan's world system. It's just like the way they count votes these days. Well, give us enough time, and we'll have the right answer for you. So we're going to take another week to count some more votes. I mean, this is ridiculous in the United States of America. If I didn't know God was in control, it could irritate me. I think it irritates me anyway. Anyway, in general, dates in the correct ballpark are assumed to be correct, and they're published. But those in disagreement with other data are seldom published, nor are the discrepancies fully explained. I just noticed my yellow highlighting, when I make it bigger, it doesn't go with the rest of it. I'll have to go back and fix that. All right, what else? Grand Canyon. How, long, how was it formed? A whole lot of water over a little bit of time or a little bit of water over a long period of time? Well, the north rim of the Grand Canyon is about 1,800 feet higher than the land north of that. So if the Grand Canyon was formed with a little bit of water over a long period of time, that river would have to go uphill for about 1,800 feet to start eroding out the canyon. Well, we know that doesn't happen. Okay, that doesn't happen. So now what are they saying? It was formed by a lot of water over a little bit of time. Well, that's what the creation had been saying for a long time. And so now the evolutionists say they have found the shoreline of this massive, kind of like a Sea of Galilee, a massive body of water north of the Grand Canyon. It covered several states. They, found the, they say they found the shoreline, and it would have had an earthen dam, probably an earthquake or something, broke that dam, and just billions of gallons of water just went kablam right into it, into the north rim of the Grand Canyon, before the rock had time to get hard, okay, this is shortly after the flood, and just carved it out almost overnight. Yeah, that's probably what happened. The Sahara, these are just evidences for a, the age of the earth that better fits what the Bible says than what the evolutionists say. The Sahara Desert, they've been watching it now, and it's, ha it's about 4,000 years old, they say. Should be about 4,000 years old with the amount of growth of the Sahara. Well, that would have started then about 400 years after the flood when now things are drying down and the ocean waters are cooling off. They were pretty warm because a lot of volcanic activity there that shot up, remember the fountains of the deep? And that would have warmed up the oceans, which by the way, would have caused a whole lot more precipitation coming up which then goes up over the, uh, the uh, poles and comes down as ice and snow, and here comes your ice age, okay, four or five hundred years after the flood, there it went, all right. Then the oceans get back to a more normal temperature. Now, uh, here goes the Sahara, because of the way that the, the, it all goes, That's a, it's a big story. Anyway, they think it's about 4,000 years old. Okay, these are the modern scientists now. This isn't just creationists. These are normal, normal, regular scientists, okay? I don't know how normal they are. Uh, our sun, it's called the Poynting-Robertson effect, acts like a big vacuum cleaner, sucking up this dust, cosmic dust, okay? Well, if it's been there for like four and a half billion years or more, it should have cleaned it all up. But it hasn't. Now, I don't know how they measure this. They say it estimates 100,000 tons of space dust gets sucked in there every day into the sun. How do they, who calculate? Who's out there counting it? You know, I, I don't know how they do that, but that's what they publish. Uh, but it should have been swept clean, all right? Uh, bent rock strata. 
We see these as we drive around the country. It's beautiful. But you'll be driving through one of these rock cuts, and all of a sudden you'll notice the rocks are coming along like this, and then all of a sudden they go whoop, like this, and then they go like this, and the, the whole rock strata is bent. But it had to be bent while it's still soft because the rock isn't broken. It's just a solid, here it goes. So it had to be soft when it was bent. That's also evidence of the flood, okay? Uh, they, they, they say they were solidified hundreds of millions of years before they were bent. That, that wouldn't work. It would be all just little pieces. You can't break rock. You can't bend rock like these things are bent. Some of them are just bent almost like this. Just choop. Um, DNA. It, it degenerates quickly. Okay? So... That's another evidence. They can still find some DNA that hasn't degenerated. By the way, they're working on right now building a giant woolly mammoth from DNA they found in a frozen mammoth. They're hoping to bring back the mammoths, okay, from their DNA. Well, we'll see. But the fact is the DNA was not destroyed. That means that thing couldn't have been buried out there for a million years or who knows what. Um, Neanderthal bones, yep, they got it which are humans, by the way. They now have proven that Neanderthal was human. It wasn't some prehistoric evolving into human humanoid. Uh, stalactites doesn't take very long. Just give us enough water with the right amount of minerals. After the flood, uh, a lot of water seeping down back in after the fountains of the deep shot it all out. And then you had your caverns, and now the water's coming back down through. And lots of water with lots of pressure, with lots of uh, minerals and they can form overnight overnight they can form doesn't take thousands of years Carlsbad cavern tiny drops of water over millions of years no by the way there's other like caverns that they don't show you they always show you the ones that have just like a little drop of water on the end but there's other caverns on the same systems where they have to scrape these stalactites off the electrical lines they form so fast they'll break the electrical lines but they don't take you down those caverns. There's a lot of water with a lot of minerals. These are under the um, Lincoln Memorial. Well, that's since 1922. Some of those are like six feet long. Doesn't take thousands of years, okay? That's down there at Fort Pickens. I don't know if they're there anymore since that it all had that hurricane down there, but they used to have some right there. Weren't very old. Uh, there's another one uh, in one of our memorials. It just depends on how much water with how much minerals. All right? All right. So, high oil and gas. You, you drill an oil well, and many times you get a gusher. Well, the petroleum engineer, anybody, any of you petroleum engineers, they tell me it takes about 10,000 years for that, that type of pressure to dissipate. It gets squeezed out into the rocks, okay? So you drill a well, you shouldn't have that pressure if it's more than 10,000 years old where you get a gusher. But they still get it. That means that can't be more than 10,000 years old. So that would fit with a young Earth. And then the comets, uh, they think they can last about 10,000 years. Doesn't mean they're that old, but they think they could last that long because they're, they're getting destroyed every time they go by the sun, things like that. And um, so where do they come from? Well, there's all kinds of ideas. The one now they're all talking about is they're coming from an Oort cloud that's out on the fringes of our solar system, that spits them into our solar system, okay? All right, uh, could you, can you sh show me a picture of this Oort cloud? You've sent 
surveyors out there. Well, no, we, we've not seen this, but it has to be there because we've got the comets. And we know they don't last more than 10,000 years. And we know this universe is like 15 billion years old. So it, it has to be there. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, um, they have these little halos in pre-Cambrian granite basement rock, some of the original rock. But they had this little uh, radioactive isotope scattered all through it in this granite. And every time there was one of those, the radiation from it would form a little halo around it. And this guy, Robert Gentry, found that. And uh, he said, that's just like God's fingerprint all through the rocks. Because if the rock was formed hot, like evolution says, molten rock, you wouldn't find those little halos. They would have been destroyed. If it was formed cold, there's no way to get the halo in there. So God had to just go and put those little fingerprints all through there so that you see only God could have done that. And Gentry's book has never been uh, refuted by the evolutionary community. It's been around now for quite a while. Uh, 1967. That's just an article. He has a whole book that was about that. They haven't, refute, they haven't been able to refute that. Only God could have done that. They also found some of these in some coal deposits. It, it can't be old, okay? Uh, let's get on down here. I'm probably making you dizzy. Um, there's too much radiation in Jupiter and Saturn. Oh my, it's time to stop. Uh, let's, let's just, uh, since it's time to stop, and uh, we have all this on uh, some of our DVDs anyway. Let us go, well, remember this one, I hope. Yeah, Isaiah 40, one of the Psalms, God says he has a name for each star, and he knows how many there are, okay? They tell us there's maybe a trillion, trillion stars. We have about a million, 400,000, including technical language words in the best English dictionary. A million four hundred thousand words, period. That means if all of us thought up non-syllables, nonsense syllables the rest of our life, we couldn't come close to a trillion trillion words, and God had a name for every star. By the way, that means don't get pulled in by this company that is, you settle, you give us some money, and we're going to name a star after you. God already named the stars. They have a name. So you can't change that, all right? So you can send them your money, but God already has a name for the star. He names each star. By the way, what's, what then is a supernova? They say that's a star that blew up. God says right there in Isaiah 40, not one is missing. Not a single one is missing. Well, that means we need some young people to go to the Bible first. And then they go through science. And, and oh, if no, if what is a supernova? There's got to be something left then. It has a name. Question. Well, uh, I was in dental practice down at the Manned Spacecraft Center, Clear Lake City, from 68 to 71. And uh, one of my patients was one of the geologists that dated the moon rocks. And so they published a range. They said that the, the range of dates on the moon rocks was four to four and a half billion years. Then about a, a year and a half later, they published, oh, we've studied these rocks longer the range went from about three to four and a half billion years. 
So I called up this geologist patient. I said, hey, you guys just published a range of a billion and a half years on those moon rocks. I said, was the range any greater than that? Oh, yeah, he said the range went from around 6,000 to around 28 billion. I said, well, why wouldn't NASA want to publish the whole range? Oh, he said, we, we don't publish all that because we know the moon is about three to four and a half billion years old. Well, if he would have said 6,000, that would put it right with the Bible. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do 28 billion with their dating techniques. That meant the moon was there before their Big Bang went kaboom. Okay, so what'd they do? They published their preconceived idea of how old they thought the moon was. They pulled those dates out of their data and that's what they published. Ideas determine conclusions. Assumptions determine conclusions. Their assumption that before they ever got there, before they ever dated a rock, our assumption that moon is about three to four and a half billion years old. They get a whole range of dates. What do they publish? What their original assumption was, three to four and a half billion. Yeah, that's how they do it. And so we will close with Now, what does God say in Isaiah 48, 11? Evolution says we can be here without God. We don't need God. But God says he won't share his glory, Isaiah 48, 11. Evolution robs God of his glory. It steals his praise, John 5, 44, John 12, 43. We want the approval of men rather than the approval of God. We want the praise of men more than the praise of God. We want the honor of men more than the honor of God. That's why. That's why. And so, uh, we won't look at that. We will go all the way to the end, which is far down. Um, well, let's just go here. And then we'll close. These words display what the evolutionists don't know. So you need to teach your kids and your grandkids how to look for these words in the literature. Like, we think. That means they don't know. We posit. We believe. This, this is scientific literature. This is how they express it. Okay? Anytime you see these kinds of words, it means they don't have a clue. They just stuck it in there. There's no footnote. There's nothing, they, no bibliography. They just stick it in. This may mean uh, there is consensus. Well, so what? What if the consensus is wrong? Perhaps this, this may be, this is probably given enough time. That's what we hear all the time on campus. Oh, well, just give it enough time. It's going to happen. Nope, nope. God did it, just like he says he did it. And we can trust him, okay? So teach them these kinds of words. Look for it in the literature. And so, since Jesus is the creator, he has the right and the authority to be our savior, and we all need a supernatural savior. Now, why do we need a supernatural savior? Well, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what it says, Romans 3.23. We need a supernatural savior. Our sins earn us wages. Yeah, the wages of sin is death. But God says, I got a gift for you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What an amazing gift. He left his glory to come down here 
and suffer a horrible death, the death that we deserve, well, if it's true, eternal life is a gift, then I can do nothing to earn it or deserve it. Yeah, that's right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we went in to vote a few days early. And on the way in, there are some Jehovah's Witnesses standing out here, passing out their literature. There weren't any Christians passing out literature, but the Jehovah's Witnesses were there, okay. So we got to spend some time with them. I don't know, it turned out maybe 45 minutes. And we went through this verse with them because they're working their way to heaven. They're out there because they have to be there if they want to go to heaven. Okay, God said, no, you don't have to do any work. All you have to do is believe. I did the work for you. I did it on the cross. All you have to do is trust me. Put your trust in me. And so that's the wonders of our salvation. It's a free gift. And we need to be sharing that with everybody we can in these last days. And I'll tell you an easy way to do it is with some of our animal cards. Just pick some up and you just share them with people. Give them to the clerk at Walmart. Just give them to people. Pay your bills. Stick one in when you pay your bills. Okay. And uh, people respond. And now we have them in Spanish. And now we have the gospel in Spanish on our webpage. And if they click on that QR code that's there on the uh, animal cards, both the English and the Spanish, they, the same QR code, it takes them to the page in our, in our webpage where we have the gospel in English and the gospel in Spanish. And we're not trying to sell them anything. We just want them to get the gospel. So I want to thank you all for having me back. And it's good to be here. I ran over a bit. And if that bothers you, tough. No, <laughs> no, I just did. And so, yes. Oh, well, it's later than I thought. I'll say a little prayer. Thank you, Father, for loving us and caring for us. And thank you for the free gift of eternal life that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did. He was the God-man, that he is our kinsman redeemer. He came as a man. He did not uh, lose his divinity. He restricted some of it, but he died a horrible death so that we could have life, eternal life, and he gives it to us as a gift. All we have to do is reach out and receive it. Lord Jesus, I pray that if anyone hears this on tape, that they will be sure to put their trust in Jesus as their Savior, and that my fellow believers, all of us in these last days, will be busy finding every way we can to let the gospel be known to our generation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.